Learn more about God's love for you at our website, findpeacewithgod.net. And it's from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Bringing you Jesus Christ. This is The Way. WIAM 101.1. Current events. Personal values. Political and social issues. Technology. Wars and tensions. Join us for the next hour to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's prophetic word as signs of the times. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome in to Signs of the Times. It's our weekly look at Bible prophecy in the world's news for Friday, April 2nd, 2021. This is our Good Thursday edition on Good Friday, and Pastor Mark will clear up that confusion for you if I haven't already confused you with saying two days in one. But here's here's a guy across from me that has... A, I, I, he's got more mics than he has mouths going on right now. I don't know what he's doing. Uh, you, what, this Again, I put my headphones on, and they were headphones that had no mic. I'm so used to the mic being on the headphones. I thought, oh, no. Don't my, you have the regular headphones like these in I, there? Didn't well, we set you up with a, a regular pair in there? There is a regular pair, but they look like kind of an old beater pair, and yours oh. look nice and new. And I thought, certainly this is a mistake. <laughs> I would think that. Uh, but because, then you always get the nicest stuff in well, the studio. Well, so, I, Well, I thought you had a simulcast going on because you got a head mic, and then you've got a regular <laughs> mic. I'm doing both. Thought, well, the thing is, hold on, Greg. Yes, that order. Okay, one fry. Is, this, is that one yeah. a large drink? Or, okay, I'll get right back with you. I'm, I'm doing a radio show. Give me a moment. Unfortunately, there's no video, so people can't appreciate this. <laughs> it, I'll fix it, it back. It, it's, it's, I, I saw it without the mic. I looked around, I panicked, oh no, I don't have a head mic, and I forget we're using the new mic, says I'm now for... Well, here's the good news. Second week, right? Here's the Second g- week. Yes. So here's the good news. You can hear me in that headset, even though that's not connected to the mic. Yeah, but that's great, yes. because it, it works. It's not connected to your... You can hear me. Yeah, well, yeah. Okay, absolutely. see, we're working all this out live with you guys. Isn't that great how we're so prepared? Anyway, it's, it is. it works great, sounds good. So. Oh, well, good. Good. I'm glad. It's a, it's a never-ending process trying to get some of this newer equipment to work with the older equipment. And uh, anyway, sometimes you just want to hit the easy button or the destruct button. Yeah. So anyway, okay. So this is episode 163. Uh, we will get into Good Thursday, Good Friday, and the uh, and just a, a great uh, Signs of the Times teaching from yeah. Pastor Mark. Really a carryover from our Wednesday service going into Sunday. That'll be fun. But first... We have got some great listener questions. This is our Truth in 10 segment, where Pastor Mark answers your questions, prophecy or Bible-related, in 10 minutes or less. Pastor Mark, our first question comes to us from Sean, and this is from our uh, The Way Media uh, Facebook page. And Sean says, I have a question about the days of Noah. In Matthew 24, Jesus referenced the days of Noah as what the time around the end of days would be like. Jesus mentioned eating, drinking, and marriage. But in Genesis 6, there are two descriptions of what those days were like, eating, drinking, and marriage. But it also talks about the Nephilim. And one line of thought is that they were not human and man's genetic makeup was being changed. What are your thoughts on this being part of the days of Noah as well, since Jesus did not specifically mention it? Would it be wrong to view that as part of an end times description? Yeah, you know, the interesting. This you're not the first person to think of this. Chuck Missler used to teach this, who was a great Bible teacher and, and also a real thinker and and had some of these ideas. The, the easy answer right off the bat is we don't know because the Bible didn't tell us. But let me say this um, for our listeners out there who don't know what he's talking about the Nephilim. The Bible talks about in Genesis six that there were um, it would appear angels actually be took on human form, and had relations with mankind. And the result were giants in that day, known as the Nephilim. Mm -hmm. And I basically, I stand in that position. I believe that's accurate. Now, with that said, uh, it did and would have changed the genetic code. And by the way, I have an article on my desk. They have now found um, some, some DNA from remains 
that do not match human DNA, but they're humans. We now have that. We literally, the scientific community has discovered a DNA that does not match normal human DNA, but they were humans. So it could be the DNA from these angels having relations with man and truly a change in DNA. Hmm. So could it happen? Is it possible that that happened, Sean? Yes, it is possible that happened. Now, is it possible it's going to happen again in the last days? The Bible just doesn't say. And I know why this question is popping up, because people are looking at the vaccines and the question of, does the vaccine change the DNA? And I've actually heard some people out there say, it is going to change the DNA, and this is a sign of the days of Noah and the last days, because once again, as the DNA was changed with the fallen angels, now the DNA is going to be changed through this. There's no way to say for sure. Again, that'll be one of those things. Only time will tell. We may not know till we're in the kingdom what really happened to our DNA. Um, I think it is possible, but I, as a as a prophecy student and teacher, I would shy away from saying, yes, that's what this is going to be, and yes, there's going to be DNA changed. However, I would leave it open and say it is a very intriguing theory, because in the days of Noah, that did happen. Now, remember, when he said it's going to be like the days of Noah, he didn't say it was going to be exactly like the days of Noah. For example, we don't eat the same burrito they ate then. So everything's not going to be exactly like the days of Noah. They probably had different food, different culture, whatever. When he says like the days of Noah, it's a general statement of it's going to be wicked, violent, evil, rebellious to God, etc. So to go too far and to say, well, because there could have been a DNA change uh, with the Nephilim, we're, we may see a DNA change again. I think that'd be something that you could, in, 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 uh, for prophecy guys, you could have a fun discussion. You could even discuss like we're doing now. But it's important for our listeners to know the Bible does not say, because then you don't want to be saying, yes, that's going to happen. Hmm. So I would say, have fun with it. See how God leads you. We'll find out. But I I think I'd stop short of saying for sure that's what it's going to be. Yeah. All right. Uh, Pastor Mark, our next question comes to us from Kathy, and Kathy enjoys Signs of the Times in Columbus, Ohio. And she's got a question regarding the age of the Antichrist. She says, if it's a strong possibility that the Antichrist would come to power at age 30, wouldn't that make him around 26 and a half years old at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period? I like the way she's thinking. Interesting. It is. Very good thought process. And and I've I've actually thought of this, Kathy. I haven't brought this up on the program, but that's already been something that's been reeling around in my brain as a prophecy guy. And yes, I would say there is probably a strong possibility. Now, here's here's the thing. We know he's going to try to mock Christ in every way. Jesus, again, introduced himself, um, you know, to the world um, and, and didn't really say he was the Messiah right off the bat. They had to figure it out. But he did start his ministry around 30. And they really he really revealed himself as the Messiah at actually around 33. So his real revealing, although he'd been doing his ministry three years, his real revealing as the Messiah happened when he rode in on the donkey on Palm Sunday, last Sunday. Right. That was his official yeah. revelation to the nation. I am the Messiah. Now, the disciples figured it out before that. Others figured it out before that. But he didn't make the big proclamation. So there could be a number of things. You may be right. Because it's a seven-year rulership, if you will, of the Antichrist, it very well may start three and a half years prior to that, because, again, I believe that Jesus actually ministered, it would appear from the Gospels, about three and a half years, which is really interesting in a lot of the two segments of three and a half years with the final seven. So, yes, it may be a a, a prior three and a half years he's introduced to the world, he starts that uh, as the world leader, and then when he hits that three and a half year mark, now he says, and I'm God and or slash the Messiah. And then we have the great tribulation. So I think that's very possible. The scenario scenario you just laid out, Kathy, the only caveat I would add to that is Jesus didn't reveal himself as Messiah till he got into the first three and a half years. And so maybe the, the Antichrist would try to mock that and just kind of gain an extra three and a half at the end. We don't know what Satan's intentions are and what God's going to allow him to do. So it could be at 30 or around there, and it could actually be at 26 and a half as you're speculating. So I like the prophetic um, glasses you have on. I like the prophetic headset with your thoughts going scripturally. It's very interesting. And again, these are things we will never know for sure. All we know is that he's going to uh, really mock the Lord. Uh, and I, I, I think at this point, I don't know, I'd say I, I lean, I kind of lean toward him being 30 when he reveals himself, because that's when Jesus did. But again, he didn't really reveal himself at 30. So we'll have to wait and see. But a great question. And uh, I, I think I like the way you're thinking. Yeah. All right, Pastor Mark, our uh, last question comes to us from Wesley. 
Wesley identifies himself as 11 years old, so that's fantastic that we've got a young listener to Signs of the Times. Yeah, I love it. Okay, Wesley, uh, your question is regarding Luke 14.26, so we're going to ask Pastor Mark to uh, bust that open in his Bible so he can refer to it. And here is what Wesley says. At the beginning of that verse, Luke 14, 26, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wesley's question, what does that mean? Yeah. No, great question. Great that's question. Why, yeah, that's why, I, I, you know, again, he, he kind of, he spoke the verse in his question, so yeah. I wasn't as prepared to read it here. But again, that's literally what it says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, children, brothers, and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, great question. And I think every believer comes to this question, Wesley, um, in your walk with God, because that's one of those head scratchers until you mm-hmm. figure it out. Yeah. Because here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches, and, and again, we first we have to fall back to what we know than to figure out what we don't know. And here's what we know. Jesus said we're to love our neighbors ourselves, and we love ourselves a lot. Uh, we know when we give our life to Christ, we love people more than we did before because now Christ lives in us, and we have the love of God coursing through our veins. So we have a greater love for mankind, a greater love for our mother and father, a greater love for our brothers and sisters. I know that when I gave my life to Christ, I loved my family more. I really began to love my family when I gave my life to the Lord. So now I know that foundation is in place. We become actually more loving of our family, more loving of our mother and father when we give our life to the Lord because of God's spirit within us. So what in the world does the Lord mean when he says, unless you hate your father and mother? Okay, here's the contrast. His point is this, because we know that we love them even more. His point is this, your love for me should be so much more and so much greater than your love for your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or even yourself, that it will appear as hate in contrast. So he's not saying we should hate them. No, we should love them. We, we, and, that's, and we will love them. It's a result. You, even without Christ, you love your mom and dad typically unless you've had a really bad upbringing. But what his point again is that your love for him needs to be so great, so much more than mom and dad, that it would appear like it's hate compared to it. Mm. And, and that means he's your Lord. He comes first. Everything, you answer to him first. He doesn't mean you disobey your parents. Obviously, you obey your parents because you come under their authority. And Jesus, when he went back to Nazareth as a small boy uh, and a teen boy even, really 12 years old, almost a teen boy, it said that he went back and submitted himself to his parents. So we see that picture of submission to our parents and we're to obey them. But again, the love for God has to be so much greater that when you think of how much you love him compared to others, it's like hate, but it's not really hate. So I hope that answers your question. It's a great question. Yeah, it is, because most people are going to want to ask that question at one point or another when That's they come right. across the verse. That's right. Well, if you've got a question like Sean and Kathy and Wesley did today, we invite you to visit our website at thewaymedia.net. Just click on Signs of the Times, and you'll see where you can send us your prophecy question. You can also uh, like the uh, Way Media uh, Facebook page. You can send us your uh, prophecy question that way, or you can tweet us on Twitter, and the handle there is at Prophecy Help. All right. Uh, At the beginning of the show, I said it's Good Thursday on Good Friday. And for those that have listened long enough to this program, you know exactly what we mean by saying Good Thursday. But for the sake of those that don't know, Pastor Mark will hit a reset on what Good Thursday is and really just kind of give us a great summary of, of what many Christians call the the Passion Week. That's right. No, and I really love it. I've had such a great time this week. It's been a really, every year is a, is a great year. This has been more special than almost any of them for me, and I'm not sure why, but just really enjoying the Lord. But again, yes, we do celebrate what we call Good Thursday uh, yesterday, and we actually do it Wednesday night at our service as it turns into Thursday once the sun goes down. According to the Jewish, the way the Jews uh, look at days, their day starts in the evening. So Wednesday evening is really Thursday morning for the Jew, which would begin the Passover in the year Jesus came. And I believe that um, based on the scripture and the requirements of the Passover lamb, that Jesus was actually crucified on Thursday rather than Friday. Now, let me answer a question first right off the bat and explain why. Well, let me just explain why quickly now. Then I'll give you questions that I know are popping up in your mind. Why do we celebrate it on Friday? Why do we have what we call Good Friday? That was a tradition that was begun many years ago by the Catholic Church. And it was based off the scripture, uh, my understanding is, it was based off of where it says when they had the Passover the next day, uh, they had to prepare and get Jesus off the cross because the next day was the, Pas- uh, was the Sabbath. Well, Sabbaths are Saturday. 
So if the next day is the Sabbath, doesn't that mean he was crucified on Friday? No. And here's why. The Jewish calendar is a 30-day calendar. And so it changes every year as to when the feast starts and when it stops. So it's, it's like every seven years we have a Christmas Day here at Calvary Chapel on a Sunday. And every church does because the calendar rotates. At least I think it works that way every seven years. And so the same thing is true with them. They have a calendar that's a 30-day calendar. It changes every year. And here's what God said. The first day of the Passover, no matter when it falls, if it falls on a Monday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday, a Thursday, or Friday, doesn't matter. It's a Sabbath. That day is a Sabbath because it's the feast day beginning. And it's a day of rest and Sabbath and celebration. So it's called a Sabbath. It's considered a Sabbath. Well, we see in the book of John that John makes the point to say that this particular year where Jesus died, they had a high holy day. High holy day. What that means is, is that on the high holy day, that was the beginning of the, the Passover. It, it would have been a Sabbath day. It's considered a high holy day as a Sabbath day, but it fell on uh, the Sabbath fell on Friday because it was a high holy day. It was the calendar switching days, if you will. So, again, this is stuff you can look up and find from John and and other sources without wasting too much time on that. The bottom line is some years there are double Sabbaths, a Friday and a Saturday. And sometimes there's a Saturday and a Sunday double Sabbath on the backside. This particular year, John reveals this was a year of double Sabbath. So when it says they had to get Jesus off the cross before the Sabbath, that doesn't mean before Saturday. We know now that the Sabbath was Friday, so they had to get Jesus off the cross before Friday, which was the Sabbath of that year beginning the Sabbath. So that explains the whole Sabbath issue, and I think that's where the tradition comes from. But if you look at Sunday, by the way, you can only get two days and two nights. I don't care how much you squint and twist your head like the dog trying to figure out that sound they're hearing down the street. <laughs> You're not going to find three days and three yeah. nights on a Friday. You can't do it. Yeah. So you have a problem. Jesus said, I will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. He didn't say two days and two nights. And then he said, I'll rise on the third day. The only way you can have three days and three nights rising on the third day is a Thursday crucifixion. Now, that also lines up perfectly with the command of Exodus chapter 12 with the Passover lamb. Why? God said you shall get a Passover lamb four days before the Passover and it is sacrificed. So Jesus wrote in, and that's the whole picture here. He wrote in on Sunday as our Passover lamb Sunday afternoon, Sunday in the afternoon evening. So if you count the days, and what they would do is they would examine the lamb four days, and if you look at the Gospels, they examined Jesus for four days before he was crucified. The Pharisees examined him, the Sadducees examined him, even the government examined him. Everybody did, and found him to be a spotless lamb, which was required for the Passover lamb. So if you take the Passover that year, which we know was on a Sunday, that's why we celebrate Palm Sunday, or four days before the Passover, which was a Sunday, actually Passover was Thursday into Friday, then you go Sunday to Monday is one day, Monday to Tuesday is two days, Tuesday to Wednesday is three days, Wednesday to Thursday afternoon is uh, four days. So that would mean Jesus would need to be crucified Thursday afternoon or Thursday day. It wouldn't have to be in the afternoon. He would die in the afternoon. He actually was, was tried before Pilate at 6 a.m. He was crucified at 9. And he actually said, Father, I, I release my spirit to you at 3 in the afternoon, which, by the way, was when they sacrificed the national Passover lamb. Every family had to sacrifice a lamb. But they had kind of a national moment of sacrifice, recognizing it for the nation at 3 p.m., which incidentally is the very moment Jesus said, Father, into your hands I release my spirit, and our lamb died. Amazing at the very details. Moment, yes, amazing details. He made it so undeniable you can't deny it. So uh, he would have died then on Thursday afternoon, and then that Thursday evening going into the Friday morning, whatever, is when they ate the meal, but the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed on Passover. You just made sure you had you could eat the meal as it moved into the next day it just had to be gone before morning that was the requirement and no bones broken etc so that's why we celebrate good thursday because i believe that he actually had what we call the last supper which on this wednesday night we referred to i referred to as the rehearsal dinner because it really was kind of like that rehearsal dinner with his bride to be before the actual wedding supper of the lamb in heaven so the rehearsal dinner slash last supper was wednesday evening moving into that night then he was arrested late that night taken early Thursday morning to prison, brought out that morning on Thursday at 9, again crucified, uh, brought out at 6 to see Pilate, crucified at 9. On 
there on the cross six hours and then died at three. And so there you have that Thursday uh, sacrifice. And then you've got Thursday to Friday, one day, Friday to Saturday, two days, Saturday to Sunday, three days. And he said, on the third day, I will rise. So it's not something I would divide over or fight people over. I just believe that it's very clearly taught in Scripture that he was uh, crucified on Thursday. So we celebrate Good Thursday. So that's the background of Good Thursday and how it got there. Um, But, Greg, you know, we discussed some of the really exciting things about that day, and and we've been working the body all the way up until we're going to see the resurrection, the crucifixion and resurrection on Sunday. But what's really neat about that we talked about was is they would take the lamb and they would go and and after examining it for those four days up to the priest, the priest would bind its hands and its feet together, and then they would cut its throat and bleed out and they would pour the blood at the altar, the foot of the altar. They would take the lamb, pin it up on a wall with its arms out and skin it. And then when they were done with it, they would put a pole in the, from the bottom to the top all the way through. And then according to, again, um, Justin Martyr, a second a century uh, church father, uh, they then would take a pole and put it through the skin of the animal, through his shoulders with his arms straight out. And the priest would take down, uh, two of them take down this lamb that was on this pole. It was made to carry by two people, if you will. Uh, they would take it down. They would go hand it back to the person. So when James and John, or rather Peter and John came and had their lamb sacrificed for the Passover, they would have handed it back to them. And uh, the amazing and exciting thing about that is, is during that, during that day when people were bringing their lambs, and they did a 24-hour complete, you were, all night long they were sacrificing because there were so many that they had to put to death. They were literally carrying around a lamb on a cross back to their homes to roast it on a spit and then eat it together. As the Lord said, unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you have no part in me. The whole, the whole imagery and uh, not a bone being broken and all this. And so it's just, again, a beautiful picture of what was going on with that. And before I even go on as to where we went from there, Greg, you brought up a great point about that that I want you to share with our listeners that we talked about beforehand before we pass that up. Well, the, you know, our sin is in type shown is the sacrificed lamb right the, the lamb had to be sacrificed to pay for your sins for us, yeah. so in essence this is what your sin looks like yeah. in terms of you had to bring in the lamb to your home examine it for four days right i mean if you've ever seen a lamb i mean there's nothing about the lamb that suggests that they're mean or bad or na- they're cute and cuddly and they don't even have any upper teeth yeah. i mean they're just yeah they're just harmless docile, animals. harmless as can be. Yeah. And you in in your requirement to examine the lamb physically to find a spot or blemish required you to spend intimate time with the animal. Yeah. So much so that in our human nature, you're going to become attached to this animal. Yeah. And this animal who's done nothing, this animal who has now passed the test and did not have a spot or blemish. Mm-hmm. Now you have, and that's a that's a rare thing to have. Now you've got to sacrifice. You've got to turn this animal over to have done to it what Pastor Mark described, and then the animal is skinned. It's skewered essentially with these poles, and this animal now looks absolutely nothing like skin stripped off of it. Everything you spent yeah. the four days with, right? Handed back to you, and basically, here's your lamb, but. Here's your sin. Here's the price of your sin. Here's what your sin cost. And in my mind, when you describe that Wednesday night, and you went into a lot more detail about how Jesus was stripped when he was skinned. And we'll talk about that too in a second. Not as much detail, but yeah. That I was thinking about the priests having to do that for the, the, the pilgriming Jews that were coming in for the Passover where you had said Wednesday night, that was well over 200,000, could be close to 250,000. 226. 226,000 lambs. And could you imagine seeing one lamb that represents your sin, but to see that over and over again, 226,000 times, God just gave me this imagery of how grave our sin is to him Mm -hmm. and the price that it cost to pay for that sin, and that's a small example of what the people had to deal with in sacrificing a lamb. But the thing is, is that now, can you imagine doing that one time, and you're like, wow, Lord, I, I need to get my life right, I need, you know, I need whatever. But then you got to come back next year and do it again. That's right. Because that, because the, that blood w- could only atone annually. Right. It wasn't eternal. Right. Only Jesus' blood was that. So anyway, it was mind-blowing when you shared that on Wednesday. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, really. I mean, it really is. When you think about it, Greg, truly amazing and um, and 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 you know, exciting to think about. And you you brought up something then that just occurred to me. I hadn't thought about before. Another, you know, you hear these things and little things click. You made the point that when you brought that lamb, they stripped it of its skin on. It looked totally different than when they when they brought it when they gave it back. Remember, after Jesus' resurrection, they didn't recognize him. They were like, "We don't," you know, because he was a lamb that had been stripped, and. Unrecognizable as a man. Well, interesting. When they brought the lamb up, they tied the, the hands and feet together, all done it together at the bottom before they sacrificed it. Then they hung it up and stripped it. When they brought Jesus up there, our sacrificial lamb, they took him to have him flogged. Remember the whip of cords? And what they would do is they would bend you over a pole. Kind of think about like we used to tie your horse to in the old westerns, except thicker. They, they would bend them over a pole, and they would tie their hands and their feet together at the bottom, exposing their back, taking you know, the, their shirt off and expose their back, and making the skin pull tight so that when you were hit with the whip, it would split more easily. And they literally stripped the lamb of the skin on his back as they were whipping Jesus. And then, of course, we know they put the, the, the cross on his back and spread his arms out just like they did to the lamb. And he had to carry that. And even having Simon the Cyrene come and help him carry it, there were still two carrying that lamb, helping the lamb get to the cross yeah. and then to be nailed to the cross when he got there. So, again, we know that happened. Then Jesus, of course, went to the cross. He was nailed. Uh, to the cross and and again hung there for the six hours paying for our sins and um and then you know that brings us up to what we're going to be looking at on sunday with the resurrection uh of the lamb and all the again a great sunday just neat things that um uh, god's been showing me as i've been preparing this week and more fun stuff and it's just amazing to see what god has done for us and the hope and the redemption and just the forgiveness and the love and i think really the thing that's been hitting me really in a big way this week greg is how much he loved us you know just what he's done for us and them not even really grasping or understanding what he was doing and all that he'd done and the incredible love uh, that he gave. And he goes back that night after they do that and, and he gives them the cup. And that's how you proposed in that day. You would hand the bride the cup and say, you know, it, it, will you drink this? And if she drunk it, then that meant if she drank it, that meant that, yes, I'm saying I do, I will. And, and I'll marry you. And if they didn't, then of course you're being rejected. He gave them the cup and said, drink this, all of you. And they all drank it. Of course, by then, you know, um, um, Judas had had gone, but they drank of the cup and, um, or yeah, yeah, he was already gone by then, but saying basically I do. And it was the Lord proposing to his bride. And, um, and now we wait. He says, I won't drink out of again till the kingdom. He's waiting for the wedding supper of the lamb. And we're all going to join together with the lamb in heaven in his new body. And, um, Greg, there's so many things we're not going to even have a chance to really get to uh, on Sunday. I think about the you know, Nicodemus and, and, um, um, Joseph of Arimathea taking his body and, uh, cleansing him. And there's so much to talk about, but I'm rambling right now. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself because I'm thinking about yeah. Sunday morning service, yeah. but, <laughs> But, you know, again, if you don't know the love of the Lord today, if you don't know that intimacy and that sweetness of just what he's done for you and and really knowing what it means to partake of the lamb and enjoying the lamb and and that love and his proposal to want to marry you, the bride of Christ, I encourage you, you know, make that decision today. It might be that you're listening right now and you don't know the Lord and God is drawing you in even through this. But Jesus was a lamb that took away the sins. You know, Greg, you talked about covering sins temporarily because no animal can take away our sins forever. It's a temporary covering. Only one thing could do that. That is man's blood for man and perfect blood from heaven. And that's what Jesus had. And he poured that blood out. And if we simply receive what he's done this week, anytime, right now, yeah. and you simply receive what Jesus has done, you'll be forgiven. And you have a place not only at the wedding supper of the Lamb, but in the kingdom of God forever. So it's exciting, and it's an exciting week, just a sweet a sweet week. I encourage you, if you don't have a church, go, you know, go to church. If you don't have one, we invite you to Calvary Chapel. We have three services, one at 7 a.m., one at 9.30, one at 11.15, and, um, and we're going to have uh, overflow rooms if you're concerned about distance and that kind of thing. So you, you And should the third be able... service will be streamed live. Yeah, so streamed live that. as well. But, I, you know, I would hope that even if you – I hope that you would come. Yeah. You know, I, again, I, I think there's a lot of positive and good signs about what's happening as far as the virus and it seems to be we're over the worst part. I was just part. thinking if you didn't live in Knoxville. Yeah, yeah. okay, gotcha, yeah. yeah. But encourage you to obviously tune in if you don't live yeah. in Knoxville, but if you live here, we'd love to have you come with us. And if not, be sure you go to your home church. You know, if you've been out, it's time to go back and, uh, and, and just give God that yeah. glory. It's a good time to be reminded what our sin cost and that our sin has been forgiven. So it's it's sobering, but it's it's gratifying as well that we've got a Savior that loves us, that did that, and for all of eternity we can spend with Him. 
Don't go anywhere. We're going to get into news articles as Signs of the Times continues right after this. WIAMLP 101.1 FM, Knoxville. For years, Crown's founder, Larry Burkett, taught the importance of living in a debt-free home. But why? Hi, I'm Chuck Bentley with My Money Life from Crown. Today, Larry illustrates one of the reasons to pay off your mortgage with a lesson from history. I've had so many people ask a very common question. You know, I owe for my house, but it's only a 6% note. And I've got the money for my house stored in a money fund, and it's earning 13%. Don't you think it's a lot better to, you know, to make all that money? Well, the question I always ask them is, did you buy your house to live in, or did you buy your house to invest? When you purchase something, you bought it for your benefit and for your enjoyment, and when you invest in something, you bought it for resale, and there's a great difference. We don't buy our houses for resale. Most of us don't. We bought them for benefit and for enjoyment. Let me assure you of this. I don't know what's going to happen in the economy. Nobody else does. But I can look at a lot of other economies that went under. And every economy that ever went under, the lenders were protected, not the borrowers. And many people in countries woke up one day and all the money they had in the bank was gone. Somebody else took it. You know, and they said, well, that's not possible. Contract law prohibits that. All you have to do is change the law. You know what it takes to change the law? Somebody with a pen, with a little bit of authority. And so you wake up one day and all your money you set aside for your house is gone and your mortgage is still there. You have to decide, what did I buy this house for? Is this for the benefit of my family? If so, if I can own it, I should. I don't care what other circumstances you have. A house payment isn't the only thing pressing on many of us. If you're struggling with auto loans and credit card debt, I recommend Christian Credit Counselors. They can create a debt management plan just for you. Just call the Crown Helpline at 800-722-1976 or visit online at crown.org slash ccc. A Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor. What does God have up ahead for you? Oh, I'm just saved, man. I barely made it before the walls fell down. Oh, that's great. Now what does God have for you? How's He going to use you? Have you ever just prayed that way? Lord, what are you going to do in my life? You get overwhelmed sometimes with the burdens of life, right? You get overwhelmed with the things. The spiritual warfare is so difficult, so hard, that you don't even start. You, you've forgotten. You forgot. You haven't even prayed in years. God, I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do. I'm just show, Use me. Take me. Help me. It might be time to come back to a prayer like, Lord, just take my life. I'm whatever. Take all the pretense away. All the, just take me. If you haven't prayed that in a while, man, go for it. Just cry out to him. You can learn more at edtaylor.org. Grow deeper in your love relationship with Jesus by visiting edtaylor.org. This has been A Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor. Signs of the Times now continues. Here again is your host, Welcome back to our weekly look at Bible prophecy that we find in the world's news. These are the Signs of the Times for Friday, April 2nd, 2021. This is episode 163 that you might be podcasting on Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or Stitcher. You can find out all the ways that you can subscribe to the podcast or listen to our shows, read our articles, ask questions right from our website at thewaymedia.net. Just click on Signs of the Times. All right, Pastor Mark, let's get into some articles of interest for this week. Uh, The first one is from Israel365news.com, dated March 29th. Uh, Israeli rabbi reveals date of Messiah's arrival, according to Kabbalah. Well, isn't that interesting? Yeah, and of course we know nobody knows the day or the hour. And let me say, I I kept this in there because it is interesting the way they're thinking. But just so our listeners know, um, um, Kabbalah or Kabbalah, however they say it, it's, it's not really the accepted Jewish viewpoint it's a mystical kind of it's kind of like the, it's like a progressive liberal version of judaism and even more kind of you're right but also on top of that i would add new agey yeah uh, madonna is a kabbalist 
Yes. And some of yes. these others. You yeah. know, I don't know if yeah. she still is. She was then. But anyway, it's yeah. interesting to see how the new age kind of side of the yes. Judaism side is thinking. In a recent interview, renowned Israeli rabbi Daniel Asor warned of a globalist takeover happening as we speak. And I quote, if Hitler is the Third Reich, then the New World Order is the Fourth Reich. It is Amalek's last meeting with us before Messiah's arrival. He said, and I agree with that statement. I think there is actually right now, um, if you will, a globalist takeover underway because we know what the Bible says yeah. in, in the Antichrist. Yeah. Based on the Kabbalah or Kabbalah teachings written by Italian Jewish rabbi and Dr. Rabbi Moshe David Vali, who was a student and confidant of the prominent Jewish Kabbalist Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzada, uh, Rabbi Asor reveals the dates that Messiah will reveal, will reveal himself. He says we are very, very close to redemption. Warning of one, a one world government ruling the world. This is interesting to me. Here this is, this false group that don't even know the Lord, and they understand prophetically there will be a ruling world government. I mean, it's interesting to realize mm-hmm. what, the, what, yeah. what those who don't know Christ do get sometimes. The rabbi cautions that in the Hebrew calendar of Tafshin Pei Aleph, September 20th, uh, 2020, rather September 2020 to September 2021, from January through February until August through September, those will be the nine months where the New World Order rules. Now, obviously, that's wrong. The New World Order is going to rule for seven years, and that'll begin when the Antichrist shows up. So I can already say this is a false prophecy, but it's interesting how they're, they're, they're close. It's almost like, you know, you, you're, you're closer than you think, but you're, you're still way off in a lot of ways. You know, you need Christ, but it's interesting to see how this, what spirit they're operating in. Yeah. In the following year uh, of September 2021 and 2022, a year of Jubilee on Yom Kippur 2021, the Messiah will reveal himself and then disappear. The rabbi explained, now that's interesting. So he's saying this year hmm. at Yom Kippur, which will be in September, he's going to reveal himself and then poof, he's going to be gone. Uh, Yom Kippur 2021 falls on the night of September 15th. Uh, until 16th. So he's, he's saying that on September 15th, the Messiah will show up, reveal himself, then disappear. Um, I don't know why, but again, it has to do with this kind of weird belief system they have, I'm sure. The rabbi then sources the Talmud, revealing that in the end of the Jubilee year, the Messiah will reemerge again on Yom Kippur 2022. So a year later, but now falling on October 4th and 5th, again, that rotating calendar the Jews have. And I quote, on Yom Kippur, Moses brought the Torah down from Sinai. In the desert, we received the Torah, and in the desert, we will receive the Messiah. But this time, the desert will not be what you think it is. It will be something completely different. The miracles that took place in the desert will reoccur. Now, it's just interesting. You wonder, is the spirit of Antichrist moving in these guys, and and we're getting something revealed here that they're in tune with from the demonic realm? It's interesting. Well, it's interesting because it says when Jesus returns in the second coming that he's going to put his foot down on the Mount of Olives. And from that point, the the earth is going to open, water is going to come out, and it's going to come down and heal the Dead Sea and heal the waters. The deserts. The deserts and and restore. That's what I think of when they just said that. So I wonder if, if... they understand what really what they're saying. I don't know. I don't know. Let me go on. He says, the divine presence will leave the diaspora and will come here to protect us, the rabbi said. There's a reason there's so much chaos in the world, and that is because God has abandoned all the beauty and glory of the nations. Um, Israel will be the place where all the beauty and glory is found. Between Yom Kippur 20, 2022 and 2023, the Messiah will make his second appearance. So they believe in the second coming of the Messiah. Isn't that odd? Um, and we'll see the final redemption. The rabbi added as a disclaimer that the Messiah can theoretically arrive sooner, but he is basing his analysis on the Kabbalistic teachings of the uh, Rachal as well as the Talmud. So again, weird stuff. His first coming is September 15th for a brief Yeah, that's what they're saying. Yeah, their first coming yes. is a brief introduction. They're coming again. So uh, interesting, though. So I find that interesting enough to say there is a group there in Israel, and they are promoting the Lord coming, actually coming again, and they're saying that all these, they're getting ready for the Messiah. Even the new agey style uh, or, or side of this is getting ready. And so uh, you see the spirit of Antichrist working in a big way over there. Yeah, uh, Israel 365 News is also reporting that the EU is investing over over 13 million into illegal Muslim land grabs in Israel. Yeah, this is interesting, Greg. The bottom line is they're trying to take over lands that have been given to Israel behind the scenes and putting piles of money into it. A recently released report exposed European Union funding of illegal Palestinian construction in the sections of Judea and Samaria designated for Israel control. Let me explain this before I read more. He's not saying they're coming in there and just saying, hey, these were areas designated for the Palestinians they've never claimed. He's saying this is already Israel. It was never promised to the Palestinians. I mean, there's the tiny portion 
that they promised to Israel, which is tiny, tiny, tiny inside their nation already. He's not saying that. He's saying, and then the other part was promised to the Palestinians. He's not saying they're coming into their area, which already they shouldn't do because there's not enough room for Israel to live. He's saying they're coming into not only the area that the UN said they could have, but now into Israel's area to take property. The Hebrew language document, a documentary reported that the EU has spent approximately 3 billion euros in the effort to exert illicit control over the areas the Oslo Accords established uh, under Israel control. These actions violate international law like they care, I, I added that, as well as circumvent any attempts at bilateral negotiations. According to the report, the EU is funneling $952,000 to the PA, the Palestinian Authority, for new Arab construction in the old city of Jerusalem, and another $778 million for the development of areas around Hebron and Bethlehem. Another $500 million is slated for the construction uh, in the Arab city of, of Ramallah in Samaria. So billions, in other words. Uh, we have uncovered a well-oiled machine in which the European Union secretly provides money, people, and planning, and legal knowledge to prepare a plan that will isolate Israel communities in Area C. These are what they call the, the where they've tried to divide the land up in Judea and Samaria and in Jerusalem, and interrupt a settlement sequence to impose a de facto terrorist state in the heart of Israel. Uh, the EU has publicly disregarded Israel jurisdiction for years. Um, uh, Kahan writing this or saying this told Israel 365 News the EU is working very hard to create a de facto Palestinian state in total contravention of international law and the Oslo Accords they don't hide it and even make statements describing what they do this goes beyond aid to the Palestinians their efforts are focused on completely erasing the map of Israel. The EU has planned Arab towns where Israeli towns already exist. So it's not like saying we're going in and getting the territory we've been promised, which was wrong in the first place. No, we're going to go and like just take your city. We want to, and if we're getting money to do it, uh, again, God's not going to let them. And God said for those who divide up his land, God's going to judge them. Yeah. And so woe to these people. But again, you're watching the end times happen, and what God said is going to happen. Well, historically, money that's come into the PA has gone to the rich and gone to fund terrorism. So it'll be interesting to see if the EU funds really go to what there the the article is claiming to or if it's not going to go to more terrorist activities it'll just be interesting to see well it how that plays you're right out. greg and it depends on who they turn the money over to if the eu controls the money themselves and they do it they'll be fine different story yeah. if they turn yeah. over pa it'll probably go into somebody's yeah. new house yeah absolutely and, and and again the plan won't happen yeah. so uh before we get to our next article uh production snafu because we talked at the break that you wanted to talk about something from yeah. the first half and i completely forgot no, it's and okay. i went plowing right into articles it's okay you know what i'll save it for the end because i think ah. it's even better i thought when, when you didn't say it i so, thought oh the oh. holy spirit's redirecting here because i think it's going to be better at the end well i have no doubt the holy spirit's directing. so let's keep on going anyway. man let's All rock right. and roll well, do it at the very end. Yes, right. absolutely. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, one World Government News. Uh, we've got a couple of articles this week. The first one is from NBCNews.com. Amid COVID divisions, world leaders call for a pandemic treaty to fight future emergencies. Why, how one world of you? Yes, no kidding. And again, we're watching the one world uh, begin to formulate, as we know that will be what the Antichrist will do, and the spirit of Antichrist. Leaders of 23 countries and the World Health Organization on Tuesday backed an idea to create an international treaty that would help the world deal with future health emergencies like the coronavirus pandemic now ravaging the globe. The idea of such a treaty, which would ensure universal, equitable access to vaccines, medicines, and diagnostics for pandemics, was floated by the chairman of the European Union leaders, Charles Michael, at the G20 summit last November. And I quote, there will be other pandemics and other major health emergencies. No single government or multilateral agency can address this threat alone. The leaders wrote in a joint opinion article in the major newspapers. We believe that these nations should work together toward a new international treaty for pandemic preparedness and response, they said. Now, here's the clincher of this article, Greg, that really shows. And again, the whole point of this article was a signs of the times article is the one world government systems and things to bring the world together and listen what this last paragraph says very short really one sentence the treaty would also state that the health of humans animals and the planet you don't want the planet getting covid <laughs> if the planet gets covid then what yes actually kind of be like 
Well, I don't know. Let's go on. Um, the treaty would also state that the health of humans, animals, and the planet are all connected. Again, this is spirituality, new age stuff here. Yes. And should lead to a shared responsibility, transparency, and cooperation globally. Now, remember, somehow the Antichrist has got to get the whole world unified as one, all as one team. Hey, we're, let me just say a statement that you're hearing a lot. We're all in this together. <laughs> and while I know that is a nice statement, and I know that's true, there's something else going on in that statement. The, the all, we're all in this together, that is developing a mindset in our community today that, yes, we may, in a good way, all be in it together. But in a bad way, it's getting the mind geared to, we're all in this together as a world system, so we have to work together as a world to make this thing go. And that's what's happening here, Greg. And my mind immediately goes to the book of Daniel in the ten toes of iron and clay. There you go. And how the clay forms around the iron, but it really wanted here. So it's unity through crisis. That's and, right. And that's really what I think is going to culminate in those ten toes coming together yeah. are crises like these yeah. globally, whether you believe that the crisis is great or it's manufactured. Yeah. Uh, nevertheless, it's being used to fulfill prophecy. It really is. And um, it's interesting to watch this whole um, uh, uh, in bringing the world together or getting world control. China's moving all this because, again, uh, it doesn't really speak of China where the Antichrist comes out of there, but they're really working hard in this whole yeah. using this whole thing, Greg, yeah. to try to get more power in the world. And they're being very successful at yeah. it. Well, and, and the next article really kind of just speaks to that whole uh, unity through crisis. This is from uh, Breitbart.com facial recognition vaccine passports being developed by UK tech firms. Yeah, um, this is very interesting. You know, again, we talk about the technology that's going to be needed for the mark. Let me read some of this, Greg, and we're going to talk for a minute because I don't know if you've seen some of the new Amazon advertisements, but pretty scary stuff, but cool, but scary. But anyway, cool from a tech side. It is. and, And then cool from the Lord coming back, but scary of reality of where we are. Tech firms funded by the British government are developing facial recognition systems that could be used by private businesses such as pubs as coronavirus vaccine passports. The scheme developed by the tech companies, I prove and Mvine, which have received 75,000 pounds of government grant, would see companies employ software that would cross-reference the face of British patrons to vaccination and coronavirus testing databases before entering their establishment. The chief executive of iProve, Andrew Budd, told the Times that other vaccine passport systems are ineffective compared to facial recognition technology. That is so true. They're trying to get something that is is really going to work better and can be really linked down to one person. And I quote, whoever's standing on the door of the pub is going to have to scan the certificate, if he has one, read the name and the birth date, then ask the people for an ID document, oh my check word. the name of the date and birth <laughs> on the ID document, uh, and see yes. if they're the same, squint at the photograph on the ID document, and then make sure that the person in front of them is that person, Mr. Bud said, adding, that's not going to happen. The plan being developed by two companies would instead see people stare into a smartphone camera, which would use facial recognition to check against his NHS data on the vaccination and coronavirus test status reportedly within seconds. Now, you can see what's happening here. Preparation for the mark. Technology for the mark. Here's the bottom line. There's all kinds of things people are trying to do with vaccine passports and this and that, whatever. The problem is they have multiple flaws that don't make it smooth and easy or even 100% accurate in some cases. What we need to come up with, they're going to be thinking, is something that can identify (laughs) each person accurately and quickly in all situations. And, Greg, the only way, it'll temporarily work on a phone because most people have one. But even that has its flaws. If your phone is broken, if your phone's not functioning in the area, if you don't have a smartphone, and, yes, there are still some people that don't, the reality is it's still going to fail as an overall global system. So now we go to phase two or three or four after they figure that out. They're not in phase one. They're going to finally go, wait a minute. Now the smartphone thing's not working because that Joe didn't have a smartphone. Here's the bottom line. It's going to have to be something on your person. It's got to be a part of you. That hence hand or the forehead. And now they can just scan you. It's there. Your information is there. It goes to all the databases and there. Voila. Your, your, your answers, your questions are answered. Now, yeah. Amazon, I'm going to hold us for a moment here. Amazon has been interesting in that it's becoming a world economic 
power in and of itself, as Bezos, isn't he the wealthiest man in the world right now? I don't know. He's I don't of, know. Between him and Gates. I think maybe he's even yeah, I don't know. top. But either way. Um, and just recently, they built their new, they're building their new facility in Washington, right across from the Capitol over there. Um, and they're building a, 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 a model of the Tower of Babel, something symbolically to represent the Tower of Babel, which is interesting because, again, world religion from the Tower of Babel is going to unite with world economy in the last days. The Bible tells us that. Why would they choose that? I mean, just it's just like you see the spirit of the enemy working and go, they have no idea. Now, so they've been on my radar for a while. Now, Greg, they have a new technology they're using. They've just introduced. I had another pastor friend send this to me, and I need to look at it in, in more detail. But it was an official thing from Amazon, and it's a cartoon thing. They show you how it works. They have a scanning system where they will basically get the palm of your hand. That'll be what you're identified by. Mm-hmm. And for ordering anything Amazon, even in their stores, online, anywhere you go, you just put your hand up. Boom, it does it. You go in the store. Boom, it does it. And just and it does your bank account. It does everything. It does it yeah. all for you by just the scan of the palm of your hand. Now, we're getting real close. That's not it yet. But it's actually moved now from a smartphone to something yeah. on your body and to the hand. Now, what's going to happen is it's going to move down to the wrist. It could be right here lower yeah. or, or whatever or, or to the forehead. But we're watching it take place. And it's very, very um, I don't take this it's, wrong when I say exciting. It's exciting because the Lord's coming back, but it's horrific in the fact that the Antichrist is right around the corner. Yeah. These are iterative steps, but it's interesting. Uh, two things are happening at the same time. Number one, uh, loss of freedoms as given by each country. Yep. You know, just stripped down to the to 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 be equal especially when you're talking about passports like this, going into shops and things like that. Mark of the Beast can't buy or sell goods right. without the mark. You can't get into these facilities. You yeah. can't participate in sporting events, uh, you know, spectator or whatever, unless you can prove that you've had the vaccine. So yeah. these are these are interesting baby steps, but at the same time, conditioning for the mark, loss of your freedoms. Yeah. And, and that comes back to that total global control and the, the kind of control that the Antichrist wants to have yeah, over the world absolutely so, anyway wow one world religion uh, uh catholic pope francis of course not to be left out in anything prophetic uh this is actually from a vatican cardinal and this is uh, also from breitbart.com in a globalized world uh they say there are no borders yeah no kidding it, we're talking about the one world religion the one yes. world government and greg i had to do it the very first word in this article just says rome and i highlighted <laughs> i just highlighted that i thought that says it all that says it all because it's going to be a revived roman empire and now from this reviving roman empire comes the leaders of the catholic church saying hey there's no borders uh you know who needs borders uh the president of the of uh, the pontifical council for ear uh interreligious i started to say irreligious i apologize interreligious <laughs> dialogue said yes. from friday that the vatican will continue pursuing diplomatic relations with china here these guys keep popping up everywhere following the renewal of the 2018 sino-vatican accord on the naming of bishops in china by the way when you see the word sin in scripture referred to as a place not sin as an act you'll see in the bible it talks about sin as a region that's china that's why it's called the sino-vatican uh, meeting so just for our listeners extra tidbit no charge for that that's bonus points <laughs> yes what we hope is that this openness continues that this long process continues because in a globalized world there are no differences. There are no borders, said Cardinal Miguel Angel Agusa Gier, whatever. I'm sorry, I can't say his last name. Anyway, uh, this cardinal. Um, what the Vatican hopes for is an openness that allows us to make a step forward. During a roundtable for Journalist Friday, the Spanish cardinal said that the interreligious dialogue, including nonbelievers, is needed now more than ever. Notice this. This is interesting. We need everybody to unite in the world. That means we have to unite with unbelievers because that's the world. So we all need to come together. Even non-believers is needed now more than ever. And I quote, because it favors the process of peace and facilitates common solutions to problems such as poverty, war. And here is again, as always, climate change, migration and human trafficking. Um, the this dialogue is not simplistic or superficial, and it must be done with mutual respect, openness, and without fear, he said, calling it a path of awareness, sharing, and collaboration that involves making concrete steps together with members of each religion and other people. 
Remember, all religions are going to come together as one. And that's what he's saying. We want all religions to come together as one. You can keep your religion. Just join with us as a religious group. In Rome, they did the same thing. You could keep your individual religion, but you had to join under the the heading of Caesar. Um, In the interview with Vatican Media, August 2019, Russo, the same person, declared that, and I quote, interfaith doubt. This is interesting, Greg. Listen to this. Interfaith dialogue is the only efficient antidote to the the evil of fundamentalism. Wow. Fundamentalism means believing the Bible literally. Yep. That's evil, he's saying. The evil of fundamentalism. We've got to get away from these people that believe the Bible literally and walk in it. At least that has been the traditional definition, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And now he says the only antidote to get rid of these people that are holding on to their Bibles so tightly is we're going to have to, again, do an interfaith dialogue and get everyone to come together in a different way. Amazing. Amazing. All right. Our last article of the day, Pastor Mark, comes from the church category. And it's actually a Gallup poll that says U.S. church membership falls below majority for the first time. Please explain what this is. Yeah, this is sad to see the the drop in. Again, it shows a generation falling away from God. And I want to make a point on this before we finish today, uh, because there's one other point to make. But out of Washington, American membership and houses of worship continued to decline last year, dropping below 50 percent. Note this for the first time in Gallup's eight decade trend, eight decades, 80 years. In 2020, 47% of Americans said they belonged to a church, synagogue, or mosque, down from 50% in 2018 and 70% in 1999. U.S. church membership was 73% in 1937 when Gallup first mentioned it. It stayed near 70% through 2000. So this is recent, this falling away, and those words are key. Before its decline to 61% in 2010, 47% in 2020, uh, the membership was 73% when they first measured it. The decline in church, mem- church membership is primarily a function of the increasing number of Americans who express no religious preference. Again, what that's showing is we are religious, but we're going to come together as one. We don't have a religious preference. We're all one. We're all following we're the same God. We're very spiritual people. Again, amazing, Greg. It's the mindset yes. is changing to accept a one-world religion. That's what this is saying. Mm-hmm. Over the past two decades, the percentage of Americans who do not affiliate with any religion has grown from 8% uh, in 1998 through 2000 to 13% in 08 to 2010 and 21% in the past three years. So here's the thing to note. Two things I want to point out. The Bible says in the last days there will be a falling away. This shows a falling away in the last days at least in our nation and i'll bet you this is going to translate around the world because we're the most religious nation on the planet other than rome and some areas like that which are you know a whole different thing um and, but also what it shows is the mindset is changing to hey i'm not really going to affiliate with any particular group god is god people are people it we're being set up for the one world religion and the one world government and that leads me into the last thing i want to share because again some of our listeners may be getting set up for the one world religion, the one world government, and you've been buying into all this, and you're listening today going, wow, I never thought about this in my life, and you're bringing all these things to mind. I want to bring to your mind what it looked like on the day of the Passover, because this really occurred to me as we're talking about that. Remember, they would take the lamb, sacrifice it, strip it, put a pole through its body and through its arms, basically, truly, in reality, you're looking at a lamb on a cross, according to Justin Martyr from the second century as to how they did this, and They were carrying them all over Jerusalem. There were over 2 million people. Some say maybe as many as 3 million at that time. 226,000 lambs being sacrificed on every street, on every corner. You'd see people carrying a lamb on a cross, walking all over the city, going to their homes, getting ready to sacrifice. And at the same time, there's a main road that runs right in front of where Jesus was crucified. We know that. We know where it happened. There would have been no doubt multitudes of people carrying lambs on crosses right in front of Jesus all that whole time, walking down the street. You wonder how many of them looked at the lamb they were carrying with the pole on its body and its arms and looked up and saw, wow, that's kind of weird, and kept walking. And how the Holy Spirit spoke to hearts that day and how many responded to that and came to Christ when they heard he resurrected from the dead. Here's my point. As you're here at this time where we're celebrating the resurrection of the Lord, you're probably seeing crosses. You're at least hearing about crosses. If you don't know the Lord today, he is showing you himself and what he's done for you through his sacrifice. He's parading it openly in the streets. Your job is to respond. And if you've not received Christ, simply ask him to forgive you. 
Repent of your sins, receive him, and you'll be born again, and you'll be joining us in the kingdom, and soon in the rapture of the church when he comes and takes his bride. Just tremendous. Sooner than we think. Yes. Pastor Mark, thank you, folks. Thanks for listening. Don't forget thewaymedia.net. Click on Signs of the Times for everything related to our program. Explore, listen, and share the content uh, because uh, we are in the end times. Have a great Resurrection Sunday in your church, and we will see you back here next Friday at 1.30 for more Signs of the Times right here on WIAM. wants you to be brave. He can make you strong. There's a certain confidence that's his gift to you. You can be brave because he's in control. You can be strong because he exchanges your weakness for his strength. You can be confident because he has a good plan with your name on it. There's a reason God tells you not to fear. There's no need when you remember you can rely on him to make you brave. WIAM 101.1 FM, The Way.